the final red flag with Amanda was that she told me not to tell anyone that she was my girlfriend. I know. I'm in the future also. I'm Madeline, and I'm a writer and a cultural critic. I'm Dave. I'm a comedian and actor. Welcome to Genre Reveal Party, where we talk about TV and movies through the lens of genre, its definition, its limits, and what we can learn by exploding them. Each episode, one of us chooses a TV show or movie to discuss with spoilers, because you don't need to have watched The Thing to enjoy the podcast. We are on the final episode of season two. We don't need another hero. Our season about heroes and villains, and just like we did with season one... We are ending on a stand-up special. Today, we're talking about Mike Birbiglia's, I guess it's his, th- I always thought of it as his second special, but it's his third special, second one-man show, mm-hmm. My Girlfriend's Boyfriend. He also recently, at the end of last year, released his newest show, The Old Man in the Pool. Both of those are on Netflix, so I rewatched that in preparation. But before we talk about, give a quick little overview of the special, we've got a guest my friend, uh, previous guest on my other show, This Is Your Afterlife, very funny, stand-up, and and a person who I think, for various reasons, will have a lot to say about this, Lucas <laughs> O'Neill. Lucas, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thrilled to be here. You... No, I don't want to. I don't want to ask that yet. I'll don't. wait. I'll wait until I give an over. <laughs> Whatever it is, you don't. Can tell. No, great not instincts. Yet. Great not instincts, yet, man. On this Come guy. on. <laughs> Just got um, into okay. it. Okay. So it's there's so little to to preview before we really get into it. Basically, my girlfriend's boyfriend. So it's the special that comes right after Sleepwalk with me, which was. The big Mike Birbiglia breakthrough, his kind of trauma show, you know, this big wild story that could never happen to anyone else. How do you follow that up? Uh, is it even possible? And I think I think the the cons- I think I'm right that the consensus is now that my girlfriend's boyfriend, which is a much more mundane story in some ways, is kind of like universally. I think everyone agrees that this is better than the mm-hmm. Sleepwalk With Me special. Do you yeah. think that's right, Lucas? Okay. Definitely. Yeah. So, yeah. So, the the show details a bunch of his early relationship experiences, first kisses. There's a, a bit where he's on a carnival ride called The Scrambler. That's kind of a signature bit of this show. Mm-hmm. And it details his, like, 180 on marriage. You know, he starts railing against the institution and ends married uh, all bookended by a car accident that was not his fault, but that he ends up because of the way the forms are filled out at fault and, and on the hook for $12,000. And the, so really what the show is about with regards to marriage, which with regards to the car accident is about like letting go of the idea of being right, mm-hmm. which is, yeah, I, I find myself like wanting, th- these are all, so I'm planting seeds. These are all the things that are like most interesting to me about this that I'm most excited to talk about. The reason I chose this, the like 
pretty much sole reason I thought of this for heroes and villains is because of one phrase, which he only utters one time in this special, but I'm pretty sure he does it in other shows. And it's the phrase, I know Mm. I'm in the future also, Mm -hmm. which is a, (laughs) he does that in other shows, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But this is kind of like the peak of its usage. Yeah. And so it's a very, it, it, it does a tricky thing with heroes and villains, uh, allowing you to kind of play the villain Hmm. uh, in the story while being the hero, you know, in the future as you're telling the story. Oh, anyway, like yeah. yeah, so so we'll talk about that. I think his sort of hero villain archetype, you, you know, we'll talk about the way he handles being a hero or a villain. Mm-hmm. It's it's a much like quieter hero or heroism or villainy than in like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, which is how we started the season. So <laughs> that'll be different. And then really this show is the blueprint for my first one-man show, which was about my coma, which was my trauma show, and the the show that no one else could write. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, after that, I had similar thoughts about, like, oh, fucking, is this my only thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And Lucas emailing you, getting you to do this, it seemed like this show had a similar... It, like, like I, mm. I would not be doing what I do the same way without my girlfriend's boyfriend. Mm. Um, do it, it seems like there's some influence you had from this as well. Yeah, uh, certainly. Uh, it, it's funny. It's like both personally and creatively. I mean, mm. like, like personally, there was something in this particular special, and I should look. I'm well well versed in Berbiglia uh, canon. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was one of my favorite comedians growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first started doing stand-up, I like wrote out sentences from Sleepwalk With Me because I was trying to figure out like how many syllables does he go between yeah. laughs. I was like trying to do the math of it. Um, and so like personally, there was something so reassuring about this show at that time in my life of like, Oh, okay, you could be unsure. You could be unsure about marriage. You could be unsure about love. You could love being right and like kind of shift. And there was like a comfort in that that I took. Um, and then certainly like as an art form, I was like, oh, this was comedy that was funny that moved me. Maybe that's something that could be done and replicated. Kind of not knowing how prevalent it is in other, in non-American stand-up, right? I mean, yes. And probably even in American stand-up, there's like more, but, but he became the archetype, I think for me to play with. Definitely. Definitely. And so, and, and I also, you know, I, I have a, not like thorny, but kind of a squishy relationship with Berbiglia, you know? Um, Yeah. I, I, a, a lot of theories. I, I'm, I'm done summarizing, So uh, I think it's time we just get into it. So let's chat. Madeline, I want to ask you, is is this because you are a comedy guy, but there are you don't make a habit of like 
watching every new special Mm -hmm. you want like noise to die down sometimes what was your familiarity with Birbiglia going into this I mean I had seen I mean I saw Sleepwalk with me I listened to his podcast I actually really like um the yeah the genre of that podcast is like pretty unique and I I like the conversations that happen and I also appreciate it most as a writer, right? Like that he's letting you into the process and showing its messiness and thinking about comedy as a practice of writing. Like, I love that about him. But I'm not a completist. And uh, especially with him, I kind of am a little bit delicate because I I guess I do have a little bit of a sense that if I uh, went overboard, I'd, I'd stop appreciating him Mm. or something it's kind of like a he's very sweet (laughs) yeah 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 so i think i mean the analogy of just like you know watching it with the the sugar dosage you know i don't know i i I have to do that within even comedians i really love because i want to make sure that they still have that impact on me that i appreciate um Wait, Madeline. When you, you say know. sweet, do you mean like the like f- fear of it becoming saccharine, or like 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 the material within the special, or like his persona is sweet? His persona is sweet, but I also think mm. that his content is sweet, right? Mm-hmm. And and so I do think it's it's like it's unbingeable to me, which I think is great. Um, but it's something you have to kind of or like I have to keep a pace with right um I can't I can't OD on it because I'll just hate him Hmm. I don't know if that makes sense because it will demonstrate no I think it does Uh, you will OD on him because it will like there won't be an edge like is it is it because of what you are looking for from a comedian no I think it's what he's offering which is Hmm. like this wonderful i mean he's he's good at crafting a joke that's yeah. about anything from like yeah adult male penises when you're a 6 year old and how terrifying they are like he can go really blue in some ways i like that but then he does you know sprinkle into each of these uh one man shows like these very poignant moments yeah. right um and i actually wouldn't want to numb myself to the impact of those mm. um Right. Like, yeah, I found I I was going to watch the old man in the pool right after um, my girlfriend's boyfriend last night. And I think mm. it's, this is exactly why I just I thought, no, I'm going to wait until tomorrow when I can recharge and like these. I'm I'm glad even though I didn't finish it um, because it, it still had that sense of poignance to me. I don't know if that makes sense, but. I mean, I like th- you're kind of getting at from a in a slightly different way what my issue, y- you know, my my like conception of him. I I feel very differently about Mike Birbiglia hmm. when I'm watching mm. his work mm-hmm. than when I'm just thinking about his work. Hmm. Like very frequently when I'm just thinking about it, I'm like. Like the thought I had actually finishing Girlfriend's Boyfriend this time is 
it ends with an acoustic version of that Death Cab for Cutie uh-huh. song, I Will Follow You Into the yeah. Dark. Yeah. And Death Cab for Cutie were my favorite band <laughs> in late high school, early college. And I was like, fuck, dude, I think Berbiglia might be the Death Cab for Cutie of comedy yeah. for me, where it's very very mannered it's good taste but it's also kind of milk toast mm. it's kind of like white guy i was surprised by some of the edges in girlfriend's boyfriend mm-hmm. that i don't think are in some of the later work and a lot of it has to do with i don't love that his style has become there's a in the same way that you yeah. can do an impression of stand up comedy like rhythmically without even telling jokes you can do an impression of berbiglia Mm -hmm. without telling jokes Mm -hmm. as well that's like involves these very carefully paced slowdowns to like telegraph that it's an important moment and that stuff like gets to be a bit too much for me and 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 it so certainly in one sitting but even it has provided diminishing returns Mm. uh for me as I kind of became aware of the other versions of this. Cause for so mm-hmm. long it was like, Oh, one man show Mike Birbiglia that he's the one who invented that. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's like, then you go to the Edinburgh fringe festival, which is the largest arts festival in the world. And as an American comedian, you discover that this is like the industry place for UK people to get discovered you discover that the idea of like a trauma special like i remember talking to (laughs) chris gethard who his like big special was career suicide and was like about his various suicide attempts Mm -hmm. and the way that people over there are like not they're like oh this is your suicide show right He, he thinks he's doing like the suicide show and everyone's like oh yeah your sixth special, you always do your sixth hour. You always do the suicide show or something like that, you know, or like the dead parent show. And so Mm -hmm. it's like that kind of opened my eyes to things Mm -hmm. and, and gave me a little bit, you know, death cat for cutie. Isn't still my favorite band. Sometimes I'll listen to an old death cat for cutie record. I'm like, Oh, you know, I hate on this a little bit more than I should, you know, but, (laughs) but so it's not like a real hate for Birbiglia Cause I do listen to his podcast a lot, but it's like, it's a bit of embarrassment. I'm like, it's a little, it's a little bouncier. It's a little not as like boundary pushing mm-hmm. as I want to be now. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. But I do want to, because Lucas, you mm. went to Edinburgh this mm-hmm. past year. Yeah. Uh, You know, let's talk like what's your relationship to it well how yeah how'd you feel about it okay (laughs) (laughs) well okay the end reference festival right um no but first the the thing i wanted to say about like we do have to remember like we have to judge the work within its time right a little bit i mean i know Mm -hmm. so it's like okay it's 2013 right it's 11 years ago uh yeah, it, it shouldn't feel as boundary pushing, right? I mean, to some degree, we have yes. to recognize that and kind of give him grace. It's also like, how do you... And we'll come back to the Unreal Fringe Festival because I have a lot of thoughts, but more importantly, feelings about it. And uh, <laughs> we can certainly dive back in. But the like with musicians, how do you do that, right? Where you just you, you sound like an album 
by that person. Like this happens in comedy too. Like what is, how do you combat that? What what do we expect of that while that's happening at the same time that like he's becoming more popular? It's a little Coldplay to me. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, yeah. You, you know, early Coldplay, it's not like we're, this is good. They're good. They make, they're good at making music and then they become really popular and people are like, actually, I don't like Coldplay. And it's like, okay, fine. Right. right. And, and also in part, because they always sound like Coldplay. So I don't know, like, Verbiglia always sounds like Verbiglia, and, like, he got a show on Broadway. His last two shows are on Broadway. That's, like, such a different crowd. So yeah. I'm not trying to be a, a Verbiglia apologist here, um, but I, it's, it for us, for our group, like, how do we take that, how do we balance those elements and give it a fair critique? I like well, that. And this is, yeah. I mean, this, because you can't talking... blame him for it, too, the way he blew up. Right. right. I mean, there's a. It's important to actually try, even though you can't, right? To try to differentiate the impact he had on comedy from like the actual specials that we're watching, yeah. <laughs> that we're talking yeah. about today, right? Right. And that's what part of what I'm hearing you talk about. I mean, and I guess that's part of, part of why I'm a little bit protective of my own exposure to him because, yeah, you are encountering him in this context where he's like. He's big and he has like a brand that's very clear, right? Mm-hmm. And it's hard not to be a little bit cynical about that, right? Um, yes. But, and we're talking about genre. Right. Like that is genre in so mm-hmm. many ways. And that is like what, y- you know, the, the way to not sound like your first album is to have like the difficult second album yeah. or to do the Bowie thing and have like completely different fucking personas and yeah. like comedy is is a newer art form than is definitely than music but you know even than pop music in a lot of ways and and different in the sense that i think so many of us because it's such a precarious uh employment field are trying to just find the one album that we can keep sounding keep like doing. over and over and over again, you know? Course, yeah. And so I don't expect him to go in different directions, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it sure makes it more exciting to be like, oh man, he like hadn't developed the like same pace yeah. Yeah. of, of every, or even watch rewatching old man in the pool the format of like setup and then literally the word which or which is, you know, like blah, 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 which is, or he does it in, uh, he does it in a girlfriend's boyfriend, but it's less formulaic where he says mm-hmm. like, which is the culinary term. The yeah. T-bone is the culinary term to describe yeah. this car accident. But in old man in the pool, it's like, so many witches jokes like back to back to back and it's not like literal back to back so your ear isn't like totally attuned to yep. it but i'm like man this is the formula of certain berbiglia stuff yeah well i even find that when my own joke writing i'm always trying to cut out witch like which is just like the <laughs> easiest way to get into the analogy or whatever and it's I a thought, shorter version of going, I think it would go a little something <laughs> like this. Right. right. You, know? you imagine being in that room? It's probably. Like, <laughs> um, Gentlemen, get in here. So uh, what are your feelings about Edinburgh? Dude? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's important you say feelings because girlfriend's boyfriend. One of the refrains is 
you know, in, in arguments, that's, that's just how I feel. So tell us how, how you feel about Edinburgh. Well, how I feel in relation to like, uh, the genre and this party that we're having <laughs> is that, um, it really was like, it really was a reminder, right? Like I studied theater in college that I found okay. stand up and it's like a, it's a return for me mm. to go back to Edinburgh was this return to like, right. Stand up is theater. I don't know why my American brain got tricked. Like mm. it just, cause so much of early open mics for me and you know, I don't know what you think, Dave, but it's like, was just like, Hey, uh, it should just be funny. Like in your brain, like your, the idea should be funny. If you don't have to move, that's great. That's like an even better joke than like, <laughs> if you had to act out or like perform right, right. at all, God forbid. But it's like, then, then we, then you get an audience and it's like, you have to perform. And I, for me, I like wanted to fit in. I wanted, you know, you want to fit into the comedians. And so I didn't, I felt like I downplayed my performance, which as I said, <laughs> as a recent little TikTok clip or Instagram clip, I did, I, my, many of my reviews were like, he's very understated at the Edinburgh <laughs> French festival. You know, like his comedy is very understated. Um, which as I say, is like, Coming from the British is really thick. I mean, that is yeah. juicy for them to be yeah. like, yeah, you should have yeah. mowed more, man. He's quite dry. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, yikes. Am I saying any jokes? Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, at, but it's like all the shows you see at French are just, there's such a range. There's such a range. And mm -hmm, you're like, mm -hmm. right, anything is possible up here. You don't have to be limited. And, and then, you know, and then what, what, what it was for my own personal show, which was one of the best reviewed shows at the Fringe, uh, according to British Comedy Guide. Um, <laughs> despite being Congrats. so uh, so dry and yeah, uh, unemotional. Yeah. Um, those are actually compliments. They were like five stars, there. no emotions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it, which is so funny. It's so funny. The show was called Emotional Man. It's like I took this show to the most repressed culture possible. I don't know why I did that. Almost, yeah, probably a slight streak of masochism, I guess. But the, um, yeah, it was, I, I discovered far too late, uh, just when marketing the show, that I was like, oh, this show, which centers around my relationship with my father, but in particular after the passing of my mother, um, that, oh, this is going to be within the canon of, like, dead parent shows. Right. And so I wasn't – I think there's an argument to be made that it's not actually a dead parent show, but the – it's kind of about the alive yeah, you're, parent. You're, you're a unique – you know, you're, you're a special snowflake. You're, no. you're, you're doing totally new stuff. No, and that's the thing. I am, and <laughs> – and no, I didn't do anything new, but I did it well. You know, it's like, it's one of those of things where it's like, now I look and I go, okay, right. It would have been, my show was being reviewed and looked at within the canon of like dead parent shows, which was a context in which in the US, I didn't feel like I was really competing in, you know, it's like, there are a few yeah. out that have become sort of trendy, a few specials, but it's like, in particular for, yeah, anyway, that's the canon of, of those shows is different and, and it was helpful. And, and I did see like, you know, Daniel Kitson, which they, I know the name. So he's a, yeah. he's a UK comedian. And to me, 
this that's a little like what we probably wish Berbiglia were doing in the way where he makes a the- comedy theater piece and then the next show is different and then the next show is different. And there is like sort of the Kitsian style, but it's very clear to me at least that like he does take more risks in structure and what he's doing. Mm. And so like this show he did was all in a round and he handed out, I don't think he minds me sharing this and he handed out everyone in the audience got a script. And so it was like different than like his shows where he's like, he doesn't speak, but he just presses play on these recordings that he had. Like, it's just, okay. it just is a little more creative risk within the stand up world yeah. in particular. Yeah. Um, but I think also this kind of comes back to like, what I've been thinking about like a steady state economy versus like a growth economy where it's like, I think Kitson's like, I'm fine. He doesn't have social media. He just has an email list. Like he's not trying to grow in the way that like Berbiglia was trying to grow and the people attached to Berbiglia want him to grow. And that kind of pressure, I think to have that product grow, that product is partly just a part of the equation of like, how much risk are you taking? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, and that's why like, you know, I'm someone who's like kind of consigned myself to not really being a part of like traditional entertainment mm. industry mm-hmm. and 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 have th- there's obviously similarities between my now three shows, but like I am trying to do like really different things in each one and there's ways in which like like the 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 coma show that I structured after watching girlfriend's boyfriend was very much a, a one overarching story mm-hmm. uh, in a way that Berbiglia doesn't even really do. Like his mm. thing is kind of he's like three together. Basically. Yes. He's, he's got one spine and he even gets laughs on returning to that spine mm-hmm. from a discursion. So he'll do like a, you know, a really long story and then basically go so anyway and everyone's like oh yeah we were back at this story you know which is like it's fine it's a little bit like okay well that's just the form you're getting some credit just for doing the form but i'm like so but my other shows were not that Hmm. and you know the the a good example of my relationship to going to the edinburgh fringe festival twice and then seeing the next Berbiglia show that came after that, which was the new one Mm -hmm. about basically the girlfriend's boyfriend, but for having a kid Mm -hmm. in terms of doing a 180, is there the big moment in the new one that's like, you just got to see it is when a huge bunch of toys and kids stuff like drop down onto the stage. It's just this like massive drop of, hundreds of toys onto this Broadway stage. And I saw that and I knew exactly the reaction that it was supposed to elicit that Mm. most people probably did have of just like, Oh my God. Wow. So, you know, and, and immediately the contrarian in me was like, they've been doing this for fucking decades in Edinburgh. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like this, it's not. and, And, but then that's me acting almost as if I'm the only American comedian who's ever been to Edinburgh, (laughs) you know? So it's like, I I don't have too many legs to stand on. I just, I, I made a joke about you being completely unique, Lucas, Mm -hmm. because I say that from a place of very much like genuinely feeling that way. Yeah. And, and, (laughs) 
and being afraid of being like a milk toast white guy mm, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that makes sense. I, I was really curious coming into this conversation. I appreciate the, the ways that you thematically kind of set up the heroes and villains thing within the special, but I was assuming more that we were going to talk about like Birbiglia as a hero, <laughs> right? Like, or mm. like whether or not you think of him in, in those ways um, as comedians, right? Um, it seems mm. like you're very uneasy about that, but that was a little bit my presumption. I mean, he's the load. Like when I ex- describe my shows to people in mm. Chicago. Well, mm. yeah, there's a template that. <laughs> yeah, it's Birbiglia the, the plus neo futurists. Is nice. what there's the yeah. this American yeah. life. I mean, you have on top of that, right? Yeah, yeah, and totally. And the story that it, de- yeah, I don't know. Storytelling as a genre in itself, which involves a voice, it's all sure. It, first sure. of all, it's frequently in present tense versus past tense mm, you know mm-hmm. it's like it's like i'm here i'm i'm looking at him he's saying that and you're just like th- i hear that stuff and i'm just immediately like uh, on edge i'm just like no you're not you're not there be real you're on stage tell us that you you know i don't know i just you feel interpolated in some way by yeah it. i feel like manipulated yeah. in the same way that the the thing i saw both of us <laughs> quote from the special madeline in our mm-hmm. notes mm-hmm. is when berbiglia says in girlfriend's boyfriend i like to dress down to perpetuate the myth that i might be a fixer-upper yeah and like and that is it's it's a good joke but it's also like he's perpetuating multiple myths even mm-hmm. even you know more than a hero or a villain or maybe the type of hero berbiglia is portraying himself as is like the schlub yeah i think so i kind of wanted to maybe talk about the archetype of the the schlub schlub. yeah you know seth rogan in knocked up maybe um what what are these and like obviously he's not a schlub he put this whole fucking show together yeah Mm -hmm. i mean his his clothes are really terrible in especially the shirt in girlfriend's boyfriend guys i don't think they're much better now I mean, the, I. It's different. Yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 it's got a, those eggplant pants. You know, that was like really the color of wearing all birds. The all birds. The all birds. The all birds really got me. It's <laughs> rough, dude. It's rough. I was like, dude, come on. You hang out with comedians. Like the one thing we got is like we have good shoes. Like we have cool yeah. shoes. Nothing Even else. Even the lamest among shoes. us. Have cool shoes. Yeah. And we talked, so the, so season one, the special we ended on was Rathaniel. Oh, yeah. And talk about a difference in shirts. In (laughs) shirts. This is a big, puffy, stupid blue shirt. And Rathaniel is like maybe one of the most like sexually, sensually gratifying shirts ever captured on film. Yeah. Well, this brings, this I think leads to, one thing that I think about with Briggs, which is just like, there is no way to really look at his shows, their success without acknowledging just how straight white male he is mm-hmm. and the permission that grants him to talk about these topics and have us all be like, we love it. We get it. And we love it in the broader, you know, entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. And it's, so there's just, there's a, he just doesn't have, like, he can look schlubby, right? It's like the classic, like, 
mm-hmm. not only was the schlub, but it's like he can, and it's totally fine, and it's more endearing. It's like no one else can do that. There's only one type of comic that gets to do that. Yeah. Well, otherwise it would be, you know, if you had like a black woman schlub, it would be like formally groundbreaking. It would yeah. be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't be I on was... Broadway. No. I mean, no, that's sir. kind of, is that what Fleabag was? Was like woman schlub? Or or is that just more in but the like sexual she, she, boundary? Come pushing? on. I mean. Yeah, she's, she's very sexy. Not a right. schlub. My yeah. goodness. Though even no, Birbiglia's totally. schlubbiness is sort of like suspect to me. I, it feels oh, very well, totally. character it's played choice. Up, right? Yeah. And, and like, like that's you the went point to Georgetown. Your dad's a doctor. Okay. Yeah. Right. And you really. Not to bring biography into it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Oh, Nothing we bring biography that. into it. You're you're in the sweet spot, bro. <laughs> um, yeah, but- I was trying to think about like because he's beloved too in this particular kind of way. Um, and I was thinking a little bit like, do you remember that Conan O'Brien um, segment? If they mated, mm-hmm. do you remember? I don't actually. I didn't. It was really. Just awesome, a combo of it just yeah, two pictures. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm not I get saying it. this yeah. like physically, yeah. but I kind of felt like this. I was trying to put my finger on it because um, like who are the other beloved white male comedians in this sense? I was kind of thinking he's like a mashup of like John Mulaney and Jim Gaffigan or something mm. like that. Like mm-hmm. he has a little bit like of the old tenuiness and the all three of them Getting went to Georgetown. The NPR crowd. Are you serious? They all three went to Georgetown? Yep. Gaffigan. Okay. Yep. I mean, that's part of the Birbiglia origin that's story. They is he, and they he made... looked up Gaffigan <laughs> in the alumni network when he moved to New York oh, and, and, and took him out to lunch was like, how mm-hmm. do you become a comedian? Like, mm-hmm. Madeline, you're, you're, you know, the like, the, the stickler in me is like, well, Birbiglia comes before Mulaney. But what you've identified is just like, a, a lineage like Birbiglia well, is came the before, but Mulaney became popular around this. Like their ascents are mm, kind of similar. I right? think it's a I little, mean, it's I think it's a little Mulaney had a more rapid ascent. Right. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, certainly. I, I think Birbiglia and especially in terms of like, even like sexual attractiveness, like, yeah, like Gaffigan is like the pudgy bottom. Mulaney the is undeniably physically attractive in a way that like, well, no. at least within the three of them, he's the most. He's got a sharp. He's got a sharp jaw, and yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah, and 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 Birbiglia is like somewhere in the middle. You know, it's yeah, like no, totally. it really is like an evolution. I think there's like a an amount of swagger that I don't know. I think they might be like the kind of poles. But what I what I like about what you're bringing up, Lucas, is like how they can get away with these things and there is a certain yeah belovedness that they that they presume they have going on to stage right and uh or it's a kind of entitlement that i don't know i mean there's nothing they can really do about that right other right. than be kind of responsible for, for it. sure it's the culture that they're in right and it's but not even I think yeah. they're similar yeah it's not even about like you know mike and his work it's just like how his work is perceived and the, you know, yeah. that that has nothing to do. Look, we, there's no doubt, like, he has worked c- deliberately and well to get mm-hmm, here. Totally. Like, no doubt about it. But, like, mm-hmm. um, Mike, if you're listening, just know that I think that. <laughs> and uh, 
And it was really fun running into you at Blue Bottle uh, Coffee. Um, but oh. after after seeing the new one, actually, um, he was very kind. Oh. Uh, but but the work itself. But we were trying to critique the work itself and like look at it within the genre. It's like I think about it for my stuff too. It's like I don't have to explain why I'm on stage. I don't have to explain why I'm talking. I don't have to explain mm-hmm. why people need to listen to me. It's like culturally, everyone's mm-hmm. sort of just yeah socialized to like listen to me and value my story. Um, yeah. But you know what's interesting, Lucas, to like derail you a little bit, please, is watching your reel that you were talking to some Brits mm-hmm. in a New York comedy audience mm-hmm. about Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. It was more unsure on stage than I've seen you in a long time. Mm. And I was like, I don't like this version of Lucas as much. I like the Lucas there because there are certain guys and this is a Mulaney thing a little bit Mm. is like certain people you want. You're like, well, this is a like uh, this is someone who should be high status. Abuse me a bit. You know what I mean? Mm. And when you're when I see you posting clips of you in a city and like taking just a mischievous little poke at the city, I'm like, Uh that's what I and maybe it's just a taste thing. But it's like there it's it's not the schlub. Like, I don't think your shit is the schlub, you know, and like and and whereas Berbiglia's is. Yeah. And yeah. But but I want to let I want to let you keep going if you were like cooking. No, I wasn't. But look, I didn't think the reel was that good. And uh, <laughs> I didn't mean it was bad. I just, but you I just, just got to like, put stuff out there. Sometimes. Dude, no, but dude, I agree. No, yeah, I agree yeah. with you of like, I, when I started out and this is the, and this is the thing too, with stand up where like, we can talk about intent about like what you're trying to do artistically, mm-hmm. but your intent is always up against, well, what was the audience letting you do? What did they like? And there's that right. balance of like you telling them yeah. what's funny and you like, guiding them to what they don't know they like and also having to be responsive to what they are telling you they don't like. And so when I first started out, I couldn't play kind of like, I don't know a lot or like, I don't have it together, even though clearly like a 23 year old, like does not have it together (laughs) and does not know what they're doing. It just didn't play. And so yeah. I had to, yeah. So that makes sense, Dave, that you would be like, nah, I like when you're like, I kind of know more about your city than you do, uh, me. Like that yeah. is a more fun version of me to play. And yeah. I get it. I, I do understand. It's so hard to evolve in a, especially in an art form that is like so completely predicated on audience approval. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, well, yeah. to the point where it's you, a. How do you take risks? I don't. I, I think about that all the time, just studying comedy. I don't, I don't understand how you all do it without some kind of internal process that seems quite incredibly terrifying to me. <laughs> well, the answer, Madeline, is bravery. I mean, people, it's not very fashionable to say that stand-ups are brave anymore, but we really are, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, but, Sorry, okay, I'm just but laughing they, at how brave I am. You're so brave. I, Everyone I, I, in this I, conversation is. So I brave. do that probably once a week. I'll just, I'll just be doing something else and get so distracted at how brave I am, and you know, you know, like I'm going to bravely say something. The, I looked yeah. up the stand-up specials t- of John Mulaney and and Berbiglia, and they're one year off. Okay, I think I hit which one? Hit which something. one is one year well, off? Just, when okay. does Berbiglia is the first one? Is 2008 for him? John Mulaney 2009. That's so, when New in Town comes out? 
No, that's the top part. New in Town comes in in 2012, which is like pretty close to my girlfriend's boyfriend, 2013. So I think, See, but that mm-hmm. sleep think, it's Sleepwalk with Me, then New in the, Town. Those are the those are the ones to compare it because the top sure, part sure. is an album. And yeah, yeah, was yeah it I a, understand that. Yeah. I'm just saying that I think Mulaney caught up, you know, pretty quickly. Oh, to oh my God. Sure. And yeah. obviously lapped him. Okay. I get yeah, that. Yeah. But, um, but the, I think that the, my association of them um, has to do with this moment that they were like ascending. Totally. Um, and do yeah. you know, do you know that Mulaney like opened for Birbiglia? I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 That was like That's a big. That's how he started mm-hmm. uh, with stand up after being a writer. Okay. Ooh, Interesting. No, not after being uh, Mulaney. Mulaney was sort of he did stand up, from what I recall. Okay. He, you know, he did improv like at Georgetown. That's kind of sure. how they knew. And Nick Kroll was there, and they're all kind of. And Jackie Novak was in there somewhere mm-hmm. as well. Okay. And mm-hmm. uh, and then he moved to New York, and then Berbigley like takes him on the road, and yeah. And then kind of after that, he like made enough money where then he like just full time <laughs> did comedy and then he was on SNL. I mean, it's it's a meteoric rise by yeah. any definition. No one should be compared to him. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, yeah. you shouldn't. It's, not, it's like Eddie Murphy. Yeah. No one should be compared to Eddie yeah. Murphy. It's like they're yeah. just these are once in many generation kind of. OK, I'll, I'll show my ass a little bit. Brand, though. And then the fact that he goes on to he does like Oh, Hello on Broadway. Yeah. In the mix of it, it's like he I don't know. There's some I don't think that there's a competition between them, but Mm-mm. it does seem like he's kind of out branding Berbigli or something. Oh, like that yeah, at a certain totally. Point, right. And I wonder how much that put Berbigli in crisis um, or if it did at all, because there is kind of a lull in the last decade. Right. I wonder, and I think that's dude. one of the things we're talking about. But. I have a hard time imagining Berbiglia in crisis because of Mulaney. I, I, I will, to his credit, I do think. Well, Berbiglia, what if it's not about Mulaney, but just about what he's doing in comedy and how it's. But unique. he's doing so much. I mean, he's making the like, the don't think, the improv movie. He's working yeah. so much with Ira Glass. He's meeting like Frank Oz is, is in the credits of Old Man in the Pool. Like, y- you know, he's he- like. Yeah, he found a path. I mean, like he'll tell he tells his story. I don't need to tell it, but it's like he thought he had a pilot, you know, that like oh, was right. going to go. And I think they tested it or whatever. And then it didn't get picked up. And then he like that's when he like didn't know what to do. But I think he, he was still he like was 25 or something. I mean, <laughs> wait, you're talking about Mulaney or Verbiglia? No, Verbiglia. OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's when he came up with Sleepwalk with me, I guess. Well, yeah. and also Verbiglia was doing uh, the Bob and Tom show, which is it, which is an yeah. interesting yeah. thing that makes him seem old timeier as well, which is local radio, mm-hmm. like local, like kind of at least regionally syndicated radio where it's like he's selling tickets because he's calling in doing bits on Bob and Tom, which is based in like, I don't know, Indianapolis yep. Yep. or, yeah, or wherever. So. And mm-hmm. like. And so between that and this American life is like the Berbiglia or also it's fucking wild, dude, to just be like, we know the the (laughs) we know who was opening for Berbiglia Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. like to be like, oh, I didn't realize I was like 
studying this shit so deeply because then i'm like well but then gethard starts opening for berbiglia yeah i should have and done that's, more homework well and you actually you I mean? forget that actually big man on campus tour was actually <laughs> john mulaney mike berbiglia and nick thune nick thune is a weird one who hasn't yeah nick thune is it doesn't is definitely in this lane of Mm -hmm. of white guys but Mm -hmm. but gethard breaks it because gethard is too weird of a white guy gethard is gethard is like he's he's got too much (laughs) aggro energy he wants to be david letterman too badly he like (laughs) you know is is too much of a like scrappy weird little fighter Mm -hmm. you know um but but the reason that i'm like okay the reason I think one of the things I react negatively to about the schlub is the construction of it is, you, you know, we're talking about like audience perception of standups and how it gets to the point where it is a cliche to open with. I look I know I look mm-hmm. like fucking uh Jack Black, Louise Meets Guzman, Sonic whatever, the Hedgehog. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, got lost in a vacuum cleaner. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, but and and what bothers me about that is when someone intentionally plays into it. Like, mm. Berbiglia gets a whole like at least a minute and a half out of going. I I chose this shirt. This was the A outfit. The B outfit was naked, and the like purist in me who's like I'm, I'm like i'm like this is too easy man you chose this like the b outfit wasn't naked you could learn to dress you know what i mean that that's like where my mind goes mm-hmm. and i'm like but and if I he was feel... dressing really nice we wouldn't like that either yeah i mean come on that's the I thing about the archetype like he's fits he could dress in a t-shirt you know what i mean i'm just like you're yeah you're yeah, you're, like you're totally right the dress shirt i mean i'm just thinking an analogous thing is um Every couple of weeks, I'm doing something in front of a bunch of uh, Gen Z students, like, I've got to put this thing on a projector and like, you know, or I'm going to put a movie on or something like that. And it is very hard for me not to make a joke about like, oh, I'm so old and I don't know technology Mm, because that's just going to get me a pass. Mm -hmm. And I can't help but be old and not know how to do technology. That's not something I can fix, right? So I just figure out a little way of smoothing that out between us all. (laughs) But are there more sophisticated versions of that joke that you found? And then I feel weird about it and I don't like it. But these are the the kinds of moves that like inevitably we make, you know, especially in front of a very judgmental audience or potentially judgmental audience, right? I kind of like, I mean... He doesn't have anything he can do, right? Like, if he came out and he was wearing a totally um, fashionable outfit, mm-hmm. we we just wouldn't like that either, Dave. No. I, yeah. I, so, but he could wear he a shirt. That, he could wear the same shirt and <laughs> and tailor the sleeves, dude. That's like that's so? all I'm saying. I, mean, I, I do like think the that eggplant pants were like an attempt to. Well, yeah, he's trying. I feel yeah. Does but he Lucas kind of raised evolve? his hand, so let's acknowledge <laughs> Lucas. <laughs> I no, I just wanted to raise my hand because I didn't want to interrupt, but I also wanted to indicate to the group like I'm gonna talk next and I'm ready. Um, <laughs> um the uh I do feel like there was an evolution a little bit, right, in his other specials. Like he gets a little bit nicer dress and he like clarifies his outfit 
So I do think he like evolves. But I guess my question and why I raised my hand was a little bit like, Dave, are we like, do we just like wish stand up were like a novel? Like sometimes it's like, do we wish that it had more depth than it kind of does? Where we're just like, ah, we keep using these tools of like how people look, how they sound. And, Mm -hmm. but those, those are the, and I do, look, I can already think of counterpoints to what I'm saying, but it's like, there is, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if it's like, we're just a little frustrated with the genre of stand up and we're like, can it be different? Uh, Like, a hundred percent. Oh, okay. And that's, I, that's what's frustrating about him is that he is kind of messing with stand-up, right? In ways that are inspiring. And so it sounds like but in, you have higher hopes of him because Well, of that. you know what it you know? is? It's it's inspiring, but it's like, oh, I don't get to like, you know, be a snob about ambient jazz music without Death Cab for Cutie. Mm-hmm. But like, so, so I owe that to them. But like, I look. But I can also look back and be like, "Oh, I was so enamored with Ben Gibbard because he wrote in com- like the lyrics were in complete sentences." You know, like that was the thing that like impressed me. And right. and so similarly with Birbiglia, it's like he led to me. I mean, it's it's funny because I like want to know. I appreciate that you named Daniel Kitson mm. in, mm. in in terms of like your Edinburgh discoveries because like, uh, y- you know. I, I, my eyes were being open to like, this is everything you can do with mm. being a single person on a stage. But the shit that actually like blew my mind the most was not even stand up. Mm-hmm. And so like, I, I'm only speaking for myself. I, I like, I do find stand up like very limiting yeah. and like, and, and frustrating and is like, why? Like, I, I, I don't even think I can consider but by by my second show, I the, the thing that makes it like a stand up one man show is like as long as laughs are your number one priority. Yep. And my second show, I was like, laughs are a strong number two priority for me, and like that felt like sacrilege. Mm-hmm. And dude, totally, it's like, well, what else is someone supposed to use their voice, how they look? Like mm-hmm. fucking, of course, dude. But yeah. I'm like, no, it needs to be deep theatrical like whatever and like and Birbiglia shows that like the 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 analogy I always think of is uh Hassan Minaj Mm -hmm. uh completely like uncomplicated character at this point um has (laughs) he he talks about like one man shows like his stand up being like you can play you can use the letters a through m Mm-hmm. And then doing one man shows, he, you're given the back half of the alphabet to like play things. Um, so, so, so yeah, I just, um, yeah, it, it it is. I I really like, and and I I think we're all in much more agreement than it may sound like. Like I'm really like not giving Berbiglia as hard of a time as like I'm playing in mm-hmm. this. Yeah. conversation you know what i mean yeah totally sure. here's my question your second show right that was like less comedy forward yeah it was also harder to get people wasn't it 
Listen, dude, I told you that in conference, okay? I, no, it's like the difference, for Edinburgh. Edinburgh. It's I was the difference between selling you. out and just like almost selling out, right? That's what, as well, I recall. That's what, that's what uh, I'm telling why I'm not in the industry, dude. I'm like, I'm trying to like spin that into a good thing. No, well, but that's, I bring that up not to put you on blast um, no, because my show that. was obviously uh, ter- sold terribly. Um, but I Did it? But it was it so well, you, reviews didn't drive people to it? It, it drove some. There were like some days. There were a couple of days where I was like, "What's what's even happening?" And then most days I was like, "Oh, I know what's happening. Not a lot of people are here." Yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but the day where there were like sixty five people, I was like, "This is a weird day." Um, and uh, that show was not very fun. But um, you know, because people had expectations, which is its own sort of conversation. But uh, I brought this up because. The thing that I I I, ha- I feel like I give so much credit for to Berbiglia that I I realized after going to Fringe is just like that man knew how to market a show, like he mm. knows how to in one sentence give you that log line that you go yeah I'll go see that show. It mm. and it I didn't have it for my show. I still don't think I do. It's like but that idea of like here are, like the reason like why no one should have a kid. And what happens when you do or whatever, you know, like he had it. And in all of his interviews, he always did it. And I was like, that's that clarity of what people are going to get, but it's still surprising. That's a skill to be able to do that. And I, I just want to give him props for it. Cause it's not, uh, it's not easy. <laughs> in I think my that's such a good point. And he does seem like his trajectory is more as like a refiner, right? Yeah. And I think it's a good mm-hmm. way of phrasing it. Than yeah, an totally. evolver. Like I, I mean, that yes. that word has yeah. come up a few times and and I kind of want to return to that question like why do we need people to when we say that we need artists to evolve it does mean doing something completely different right um or substantially some, different way. or yeah but like the stakes are pretty high there and I wonder why that's necessary right like some yeah. artists that's just not how they work you know and and I can appreciate I think I can appreciate both. I mean, just to think about like an acting right now, like I'm so impressed by Emma Stone and oh, yeah. how much in the last few years, like she has just done wildly different things and taken these huge swings. And, and I'm amazed by that, but that doesn't, there's some other actors who it's just like, yeah, they keep playing the same kind of parts, but they have a precision and a sense of focus around it that I'm not going to, compare these things they're just very different moves that that people could be making and i don't know i feel like stand-up is sometimes like a little bit more claustrophobic and we can't Hmm. um allow for there to be much variety right like there is a Hmm. real sense of like what like part of what you're saying was like yeah oh the sixth show that's my suicide show like it's so um i don't know there's such a sequence that the people are supposed to be taking and, and that's not how anyone works. Right. Like, well, and the thing you're like pointing out to me is that my unreasonable expectations of Berbiglia and like mm-hmm. why I'm like so focused on them and why he is what, like why that's his, like, honestly, that is his greatest flaw, which I'm like willing on the right day to <laughs> argue that like, that's not actually even a flaw because it's not about what he's Mm. doing at all. But Mm -hmm. the reason I'm talking about that is because he 
because they're the expectations I have for myself. Right. Because he yeah. planted those expectations in me. Right. And now mm -hmm. I'm like, well, even if I'm never selling show, like s selling out shows, this mm -hmm. is what I want to be doing. Um, and then sharing it with Lucas and having him blast how <laughs> terribly my second show sold. Uh, I have no it, metrics on that at all. <laughs> I know. I just told you. I was just like, it was. I mean, it was rough, dude. It, 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 like, no doubt. Uh, weirdly, I I was surprised by the third show. I thought it was like, uh, it, I felt like it was too hard to explain. And then mm -hmm. I found in the process of telling people about it, they were like, "Oh, that sounds great." I was like, "Oh, it sounds like anything to you." Like, and it was still so mm -hmm. so emo in some ways mm -hmm. that I was surprised that how I had structured it made it a bit of a party show. I was like, oh. I didn't realize I could make party shows exactly, you know? Um, yeah. and well, so you that used was, known IP. So that was a smart, I did survivor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's true. <laughs> that's my thing. Yeah. I'm like 10 years from now. I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm doing my real housewives of Salt Lake city show. And you're like, Dave, your whole thing was like artistic, pushing things forward that's where you're at um, and then we'll come back to the well the refinement turning into evolution because i actually think i'm yeah. sorry if i cut you off while you're rolling there no, but, no, no 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 but i think some, sometimes like what what we label as evolution is actually like a final step of refinement yeah and 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 that's why mm. like you know when i said like mike's use of the term like I know I'm in the future also yes. like that. That felt like a really clear example of him, like kind of knowing this thing, using it, like using it. And right. like what I should have said was nothing like whatever. And then finding like the place for it to land in the show and you, in this yeah. show and you go there, that's like, that's a refinement. And like, yeah, there's a ton of beauty in that. Well, and I, what I, I was, I like that about it too. What I was surprised by with that, because the way I remembered, I know I'm in the future also, is like him excusing his own mm -hmm. kind of bad behavior. But that's mm -hmm. not how it's used in Girlfriend's Boyfriend. It is when uh, the first Girlfriend's Boyfriend that he meets, uh, that girlfriend who's like the bad girl, uh, tells him... Uh, to not tell anyone that they're dating and you hear an audience gasp mm -hmm. and, and he says, I know I'm in the future also. And so the thing he's referring to is his own stupidity, his own gullibility, mm -hmm. you know, a strand of schlubbiness. And so, yeah, th that like kind of broke open. I was like, Oh man, he's really like the, the worst he's painting himself. I think the worst, correct me if you disagree, but I think the worst he ends up looking in My Girlfriend's Boyfriend is when he plays basketball against uh, the hmm. girlfriend. And hmm. he's like, he's he like makes this, they say, she says they should play. He makes this speech about how he's he would he would be no her, we can't which play because if we play i'll yeah. win and she's like yeah i think i'll win and he's like no i know this is supposed to go you'll say you know i'll say i'll win you'll say you'll win and then i let you win but i don't have that in me and mm. and you're and i almost because he he because he is schlubby you're like maybe he won't win yeah. but then he <laughs> does dominate the game and she says i've never met anyone who's so obsessed with the score and he says well the score is what makes it a game yeah. but it's like that is a 
even though you see what he's saying and you relate to like not wanting to fall into one of these romantic comedy cliches, it's still kind of gross to be like, why are you still playing? Like, play a couple points and and then be done with it, you know? Yeah, I didn't like the whole thing where they're like, oh, only attractive women could get away with this, you know, not bringing a driver's license or a passport Uh thing. Uh I also think like that was a schlubby move. There's so much men and women shit lines. in this. Yeah. Th- that's the shit that I think in 2013 we had yeah. moved past that we can look yeah. back and judge him a little bit accurately to be like, dog, I'm you got a lot of... I'm only bringing it up because you brought up the basketball, though. No, I mean, no, I was, no. I was, totally. I was super willing to be like, okay, this is 2013. I No, I, I know. and But, <laughs> but I think it's... It worked. <laughs> yeah. Right, 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 right. But I think it's interesting to be like... um. Yeah, to see where he's working. Like, the the thing that this is making me think of is Nanette, actually. I was just mm-hmm. going to say. Really? Like, no, the thing I was. Because that the, the, Hannah the Gatsby question, did, yeah. she's, like, she's like, all yeah. I'm saying to straight white guys is you are not the default. And mm-hmm. Birbiglia's whole thing, or, 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 no, 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 that's not fair. A foundation okay, okay. of Bir- Birbiglia's thing is being the default. It's why mm. the most important part of I know I'm in the future also. And the thing he actually does say multiple times in Girlfriend's Boyfriend is just, I know. Like, and so he gets to be the everyman. And part of it is like, he's a comic. He's structured this. He knows how it's going to come off. But also Mm -hmm. he's like, I'm you. And and so that is, Mm -hmm. I think, the way that comedy has most evolved is like, Lucas, I've actually been in spaces where... I over apologized for being Mm. a straight white guy Mm -hmm. because I didn't feel like I had the default right to speak. And maybe that's because I'm just in more progressive spaces than you. Sure. I better politics, whatever, you know. Um, <laughs> Wait. But, uh, <laughs> what? Hey, what does that have to do with you know, me at all? More, speaking of evolved, I'm, I might be a little more evolved than you. Better feminist. Right, but I'm refining <laughs> what you're trying to do. So, yes. No, but but like, okay. I think I think that... That. I just want to take a moment to apologize to the listeners for being straight and white. Um, I always <laughs> do that. And oh, listen, this, are you, this we came up out of, no, out of nowhere, but I do want to apologize of my own accord. <laughs> but Malin, you had other Hannah Gatsby thoughts. No, I think. I w- that is interesting what you're bringing up. Um, and I do think like, yeah, we can kind of historicize this a little bit, you know, in terms of like when Nanette came out and very much couldn't have come out in 2013, right? Mm -hmm. But her thesis about, um, you know, about self-effacing comedy being requisite, I actually think that that's that's kind of an interesting point of connection because humiliation is really like the main mode of um, Birbiglia's comedy, I think. You know, it's like very interesting to me the what he puts on display right and the power of that it's a very different move because of the fact that he's yeah the default and she isn't but i do think they have that in common and that that's a little bit of a corner that they paint themselves into and kind of paint themselves out of right um so i was kind of i was kind of interested in like especially because excuse me you are both white straight men in comedy like how do you deal with humiliation like do you fall back on that right because that actually seems like a pretty easy um tool right (laughs) 
Well, do we the fall improv back term on? is oh. status. It is like high status, low status. And that was a thing that, that was kind of an issue I had with Nanette was like, hmm. dude, low status is like kind of always a great move in comedy to be the one who slips on the banana peel. Like, yeah. And it's a That's big part thing of... That's the thing I had a problem with too in that. <laughs> yeah. Like why like Ricky Gervais and Dave Chappelle, like... like the the road to horrible politics is almost paved with allowing yourself to be high status, you know, to sure. be like, I'm going to target these people because now I'm no longer the target of, I'm not the target of the joke. Sure. Okay. Lucas, just, did you have I'd really thoughts, like to hear on, Lucas's thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah. Well, if I'm understanding right, I mean, I, there is that kind of like, but who has permission to slip on a banana peel and know that, everyone hmm. still respects them as a person and there's nothing, there's no other thing, you know, they walk off stage mm-hmm. and everyone's like, yeah, you deserve to be here. So I, I just, there's that mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's the question, I guess. And so I think if you are a straight white man in America, it's like, you can look silly and always yes. have your offstage dignity mm-hmm. granted by others. And so I, that feels like a key part of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that is, like, the thing that I find actually brave about his comedy um, is the willingness to reveal these very embarrassing stories about himself, right? I find that very compelling, right? Um, but to get to the Hannah Gatsby question, I have said this I, I ended up talking about this a lot on like my book tours. Everybody always wants to theorize fucking comedy, high, low, punching down, punching up, right? And it's like in targets, you use the language yeah. of targets. And it's like comedy does not have to be so fucking violent. Like mm, <laughs> does yeah. not have to, mm. nobody has to be punching, right? Which is why I am a huge mm. Bamford fan. I think that she's never done anything that's, um, anything like that. And she absolutely like refutes that, um, that insistence in comedy culture, right. That it, that it's always a matter of punching. Like, I just don't think it has to be that way, but if I'm going to see a white guy do anything, punching himself is probably good, <laughs> which is what he's sure. doing. Yeah. Right? Um, but I also wanted to talk about that with like, okay, what is your sense of the deli- I, I really appreciate the way you're talking about this, Lucas, is like a specifically American phenomenon too, like that there is some discrete difference that people assume between stand-up and the quote one-man show, Mm, right? But mm -hmm. like, um, to me, there's also something kind of brave in the fact that like, quote, storytelling and one-man showing is like deeply embarrassing, like beta male behavior, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. And he just doesn't care about that. And that's something I do... I really enjoy about um, about all the specials I've seen. I haven't seen all. There are a couple I've missed, but um, but I don't know. What's your sense of that? Like the charge of storytelling being kind of like a bullying move or something like that. Um, yeah, I I mean I yeah. think there's real. I know we joke about the bravery, but I do think there's some artistic integrity in it as an in an American stand up to try. To, to leave the place where only jokes are allowed and allow mm-hmm. for more space is actually a risk. 
I think mm-hmm. it like feels like a risk. You get to play with you get to play with more notes on the piano. There are more colors, but I I felt I was like, wow, there is much more vulnerability here, mm-hmm. and for for people who are socialized to maybe not be as vulnerable, for there not to be as much value in it, you know, there is there's guts it takes to do it. And so I do commend, I commend him for that. And some of his other specials, he's like more, I feel like he says more unlikable stuff. Yeah. Too than even when we're talking about heroes and villains, you know, I mean, in the new one, he says like, I I understand like the line of like, I know why dads leave or like, I I understand why dads leave. Right. I mean, and he, he puts that in there and Yeah. yeah. That that's what gives it that I think like the relevancy and the edge and like why people would go. It's just like we're seeing, you know. I, I th- he says it in interviews, like blood on every page. Mm-hmm. I mean, he tries. He really does try to put himself out there, even though it, we can recognize that it's within a genre in which you can kind of always protect yourself because you can always have jokes to like save you. Well, I sure. think that's why watching it, I'm more enjoying and impressed than like thinking yeah. about it. Cause I'm yeah. not always mm-hmm. thinking about those thorny moments. I mean, the thing that like, mm-hmm. I think influenced me still resonates with me the most about my girlfriend's boyfriend is, uh, although from the first second I realized, Oh, I left the microphone on the, on the stool before I came out at my first Edinburgh run because of this special i did not even i didn't even realize that like not having a mic stand and leaving it there which honestly is a fucking classy move dude like just i did that i did that for mine but that's because we had a we didn't really have a mic stand so i and it's so much better you don't need to move it out of the way you just pick it up yeah but anyway Mm. he is is, the thing that i find really influential to my thinking and uh, even personally is that this like this is a special, like I said, what it is really about is letting go of the need to be right. And so admitting the need to be right is one of the uglier things he admits in mm-hmm. this special. Mm. And it is a very relatable, he gets so many laughs all the time off like, I'm right, I'm right. Because everyone can relate to like, not wanting to let go of being right. But the yeah. idea of doing stand up about not about wanting to be right and letting go of it. It's just a little too subtle to imagine a like traditional standup show doing that or something like the only way to get at that is these kind of long story. Like you have to get at it through Mm -hmm. concrete details. You can't just be like parsing it philosophically. And, and the thing, the struggles I still have and and a thing I've incorporated into my own thing is admitting is is like displaying the darker parts of my own psyche and trying to get people to ad, to relate to them mm-hmm. and like you know and sometimes people are like e- either you find out that not everybody thinks that which is the worst or you just like haven't described it well enough that anyone's willing to admit. <laughs> to thinking that you know Hmm. yeah well what do we think about that with okay the comparison i'm feeling right now is like with louis ck um the apex schlub 
Mm. The apex schlub, but like specifically the way that like, and after the whole um, scandal of um, 2019, right? Was it? When he got his uh, Netflix special canceled. Yeah, yeah. Um, I looked back and watched and... That was one of the, I will give you credit, Madeline. That was one of the best uh, lines in Madeline's book was that like, oh. wh- what is it? twenty? What 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 is the name of that special? 2017 or 2019? Mm-hmm. Uh, like Louis C.K.'s 2019 is like one of the worst named specials of all time, <laughs> considering like what it represents. Um, <laughs> that, he, that came out earlier that year. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. He actually um, pantomimes masturbating like in almost all of his specials, right? But mm-hmm. that it does seem to be like the hermeneutic code for his stand-up, right? It's just like masturbating, humiliating, but like as a kind of kink, as a kind of fetish um, onto his his audience. Like that that came very, very clear to me afterward, like in retrospect. Oh, wow, this has like always been kind of going on. And it's not just this thing that was happening backstage. It's like actually a way to like fundamentally understand his comedy and how it works. Right. Um, I don't think that thinking about like what do schlubs do with their vulnerability. Right. Like there's something different here. There's it's not like an aggressiveness. Right. About it of like needing to dump like loads of this on to people <laughs> like these dark like Thick, sticky loads of interiority yeah, that, there's something really different about it and maybe it is just a matter of pacing but it's also like there's like a, a reflexivity that's going on throughout that really makes it more complicated and interesting to me than just this like raw confessional like yeah i'm an asshole comedy right like yeah, no, he, ref- I mean, like, I know we've used refined, but he filters mm-hmm. out so much. And I think that's what mm-hmm. makes it, ex- I think that's what makes it broadly accessible. Yeah. It's like, he's not challenging us in a way of having to weed through, you know, kind of trauma dumping. He doesn't yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't. really works the show out until you what he lays out is digestible but still has like emotional resonance mm-hmm. and you know not everyone very few people can really do that but but it's palatable yeah. I, and i think like maybe dave i was thinking about this where it's like when i first saw my girlfriend's boyfriend i like wasn't doing comedy i like wanted to but i like wasn't really doing it i like you know versus mm-hmm. when i saw the old man in the pool like I was like getting ready to do my own solo show. And I can just remember being so in my head <laughs> about like, well, this is okay. Or what, you know, like the weird, like your little brain. Uh, and it's yeah. like, oh, it's just, if you step yeah. out and you're like, as a person, am I watching this? Like later after we left the show and after I discussed it with friends, I was like, oh yeah, that was pretty good. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was actually like good. <laughs> that actually good. was really yeah. good. That had a ton of jokes. Like, right. and mm-hmm. So I just wonder for us, it's like that, I don't know, participant observer with the genre, if that is mm-hmm. like maybe a little too loud and like cl- clouding our ability to appreciate it to some degree in retrospect. 
Yeah, I like what you're saying, and I think like the you don't other get to thing answer that, though, Dave. This, don't answer it because I I, I, I didn't raise I my hand, so you. I don't expect to. But I think the other thing that's pretty amazing as a feat in this comedy is that he hardly ever relies on shock. You know. Yeah. Well, I think the thing that he does that's pretty incredible. Like, there's so many places where he definitely could do that, right? Definitely. And yeah. and the thing that he does that is, like, a- another thing I grapple with, Madeline, as, like, someone, like, becoming, like, politically awakened, which primarily resonates through, like, doing an individual art form as my values have shifted toward community, mm-hmm. uh, is is, like... He he was the example of not only can you be self-deprecating, make yourself the butt of the joke, that's a good look for a straight white guy, but also mm-hmm. like like not making blanket statements. You know, he says I know mm-hmm. so much because he's never saying, you know that feeling when you he's mm-hmm. it, like I had a poetry teacher who said that like you was like a fascist word because it was like telling like the second person is like, you do this and this and this. And I was like, yeah. I've always like thought about that. And mm-hmm. he does that very little. He like offers his story and offers points of entry yeah. for people, yeah. nice. which allows them mm-hmm. to say, I know. But yeah. then, but then the thing that I struggle with there is like, it's very easy to slip into, oh, I'm apolitical. I, I don't do political shows because I just do personal shows. And like, well, that's a that's thing that a I plague in comedy. <laughs> sure. But but it's a plague that like as yes. someone in comedy, I like want to struggle against. And I'm like, what's mm-hmm. the way to do that? Yeah. Um, you can't do it individually. Well, the way that before, I found right? is like is like trying to do crowd work in a different way. Trying to like yeah. okay. kind of bring more people into the show in a way that is not as prescribed as like, you know, that's another expectation I have of other people that um, is, I don't think is misplaced, but most people would probably say is. But um, I think that is, that is both the, that like so much of what he's doing, that is the feat of what he's doing. And it's also the limitation of what he's doing. Is the individual telling the individual story and allowing it to breathe so you can access it? I mean, he at the after he did the new one in an interview I listened to, he was like, I don't think I'm going to do live performance anymore. Like he really he was like, I I know. But I, Mark I Maron like, says that, that all the time. I'm like, then don't and and tell everyone no, no. to go see our shows in the meantime. Nice, nice. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Lucas, when did he say that? It was um, I think it was like either in the lead up to or right after his Broadway, like his Broadway run of the new one had just gotten extended and they were figuring out maybe how to film it. I don't know. It was somewhere in that time. Mm -hmm. And he just wasn't sure because he had a daughter now. And that feeling Mm -hmm. of like, well, how do you talk? Like when you're just yourself or yourself and like a a consenting fully grown adult, how do you talk Mm -hmm. about people on stage? And like, Mm -hmm. but then you have a daughter and it's like, what do you say about them? I mean, look at this. We're we're looking back I know eleven that's years. A Louis C.K. problem. Yeah, sure. <laughs> he um, does. A, I I like how he sp- speaks of his of his kid, and I see how complicated that is. I, I in, in the old man in the pool. I was pretty impressed by that. Yeah, that's it. Has some really beautiful moments. It really does. Yeah. He's very respectful of Una and I and his wife. Yep. Honestly, yeah. I, 
these things need to be said. I don't want to take them for granted because yeah, there's that's so a many good point. schlubby, schlubby, schlubby comedians who, um, you know, take down their family members. It's also an easy quote target. Or right? just like miss, doesn't do that. entirely misrepresent them. I think like yeah. actually Mike deserves a great deal of credit for the fact that like the gen he depicts in this show is like feels like a real person. Mm-hmm. And there are so many comedians who when mm-hmm. they talk about their wives, you're like, but that's not your wife. I've met your mm-hmm. wife. They don't sound like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? That's like Mort Saul's wife or something. That's some right. like 20th cent, mid 20th <laughs> century. Wife. But okay, Lucas, what was yeah. your approach? I mean, mm. you were doing a family show. Yeah. yeah. When How did you, you feel that? moments where you're like, oh, I could, I could call them this or I could refer to this or what, what to include and what not to include? Yeah. I still like, as I think about what the life of the show is after this, I'm still like, man, should I cut that? Uh, I mean... My dad didn't see the show. My dad flew to Scotland and he saw the show. And uh, it was the most nerve-wracking part because, I mean, it's in particular, it's like there are 12 people at the show and like one of them's your dad. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a lot. Um, yeah. And I, the, th- yeah, what, what I found is that like in stand-up, when you just do stand-up, you kind of feel like you can kind of get away with like reducing people and whatever. Cause it's a joke Right. when you're doing something where it feels like a show and there's a beginning, middle and an end, they become characters. And, you, and, and then it feels like, well, what do I have to, how do I rep- have to represent them? That feels like I'm doing justice and that the audience will be like, I can buy this. This feels fair. This feels representative. So, yeah. um, I think ultimately like the show turns and I obviously end up being not the good guy in some ways, right? Like that's the change, the realization sort of taking, it's a very coming of age sort of like taking your dad off the pedestal and like looking at him as another man who has experienced loss and being like, oh, when I see him as that, I'm not mad. I'm not angry at him. Um mm-hmm. And that's where like sort of an opening for connection in real life happened for him and I. And so I try to depict that in the show. So the trick to that is you get to use some of your old perceptions of him, maybe some more cartoony yep. things yep. and then pull the rug out from under them. I like that. Yeah, that's what an arc. That's right? what I ended up doing. That's and, it, and it mirrored, though, genuinely my evolution as a person, right? Because you're, you're writing these jokes over time. <laughs> yeah. And that's and then and then you're kind of looking back and you're like, oh, well, oh, that's different, isn't it? I, that's different mm-hmm. than what it was, you know? And, but I don't, I've, I've said after the show, I'm like, I'm never writing about my family again because it's so, <laughs> so fraught yeah. of wanting to be fair, but also like you're in a room and you're trying to get a laugh and it is comedy. So you feel like you can kind of make stuff up, but what? It's hard. Um do you still feel that way or do I still feel that way? The new one. I'm not going to do live performance anymore. Do family. Yeah. 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 I'm actually, I'm not going to do podcasts anymore. To be honest, this is my last one. (laughs) 
Thank um, God. So glad to have you on. So glad we nailed you for your for your last one. Oh yeah. Yeah, this will be a huge number for you guys too because it's my <laughs> final one, and all my listeners will be thrilled. But um, yeah, I, no, I'm sure I will. It's like sometimes I were. You know, isn't there a phrase where it's like every film director is like just making one movie their whole mm-hmm. career. Mm-hmm. I sometimes think about that with standups too, where it's like, Oh, I think we're just like trying to tell that one story yeah. and in different ways, this sort of refinement question. So I don't know. My family has been such an influential part of my life, my comedy, my point of view, my comedy, like sensibilities. Um, so many of them are funnier than me um, that it's, <laughs> It feels like I'll come back to it, but, but, but also like as a challenge, I'm like, maybe, but what if I didn't write about that? What would I do? Yeah. 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 Well, and I also appreciate like we were talking about like the, the punching, the targeting, things like that, but the model of like taking one down from a pedestal and doing it with care. I mean, that's exciting to me. I'd love to like, I'd love to see your show and, and think about that because I think there are just so many different ways that we can relate to each other through comedy and tell stories about other people. Right. But part of what I'm hearing you say also is just like having a narrative structure gives you more room to explore that. Um, that's something that's just so constraining about American comedy. Um, yeah, but I don't know. And it necessitates like this, like radical change. And it's like, mm-hmm. I just don't know if we radically change every year <laughs> no. to the point where like, <laughs> you know, totally. we well, content. that's the yeah. bad side of the British model, too, is like right. they're supposed to be do- you're coming. That's that's how Nanette even gets called Nanette is they have to come up with the title of the show yep. a year before, you know, writing it. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, I just I. I think another thing that he well no that that's not well I was going to say another thing that Berbiglia does in later shows is he's like more physical especially old man yeah. in the pool he's like yeah. even though the scrambler like is a super and... physical bit but <laughs> old man in the pool he's using that I mean it's a cool fucking backdrop it's really cool that pool. It it's a good, good yeah. it's really good the set designer's name is Beowulf too which is like oh my <laughs> god yeah that oh. is right <laughs> But the thing, dude, the thing is, and I think a big reason, and maybe this is being me too, me being too harsh on comedians, is like a big reason why people maybe avoid these kinds of shows is like there is a process of growth that you have to do to write the show. To, to write get the it to show. Be, to get to, it to, to be satisfying the show. And how many comedians like don't, I, like, I'm like, Okay, you're joking about not having a bed frame. Go buy a bed frame, dude. Like, don't be. That's the thing that bothers me about the shirt. I'm like, get yeah. the fucking shirt tailored. Like, uh-huh. you can tried. do something it's, about that. You know what I mean? Like an, I think it was a nicer shirt. You know? No. Okay. I don't. I shouldn't use the on, shirt as man. an example. I'm talking about on, the example man. of someone who's like a dirt bag, and yeah. like, there's so few people who I want to see be a dirt bag for an entire career. And we don't all have to grow in the same ways, but but I want to see people grow. And like, that's the, that's the real bravery of like doing a show is to be like, oh, I'm going to like 
the sincerity of like, yeah, I want to be a better person. And like, I'm actually going to try to do it while not just relying on the crutch of all the things that make me a bad person is what I use for comedy. Right. Right, right, right. I want to apply a little pressure to one thing. Nice. Which is, I want to, and I really want to hear it from both of you having constructed shows. But to me, this thing of always needing to be right, um, I don't, okay, let me say this. He's controlling the narrative. And I feel like that's a different version of the same compulsion, right? Like, I understand this is a writer, right? Mm. Like, I can write about, like, my mistakes and flaws. But, like, I still control that narrative. I still have that sense of control. And that that's actually what he's talking about when he's talking about, like, needing to always be right. Like, Dave, you said in the beginning that you think he does a 180 about marriage. And I don't think he does at all what the... The trajectory is to me is that he just decides like that he's going to do this thing for her. Yes, 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 yes. He hasn't changed his mind about marriage. He still thinks it's bullshit. Mm -hmm. And and you're totally right about that. And I'm willing to admit that I was wrong at the beginning of the podcast. Oh, that's good. Yes. Wow. What a what an incomplete 180. I'm hearing from Dave. (laughs) I I actually don't believe he thinks he's wrong. No, I think I no, think you're what, totally. What about that thing about right. controlling a narrative? I think that that's like definitely an unchecked thing that's going on in in all of his comedy. There's like a high sense of control. And well, do you think well, that's ne- necessary to the form, or do you think there's a different way he could go about that? I think that there's different ways comedians go about that, right? Like all of this feels very rehearsed, and we know that about his process. How many times had he done it? Um, before the the filming of this special, I mean, he's kind of a perfectionist. That's part of his. Yeah. Thing, well, and when right? he's doing like for for the old man in the pool, when he came to Chicago, he did a month of Steppenwolf shows at Steppenwolf in Broadway. Chicago. Yeah. And had he also yeah, done so. like Berkeley too for like a long time. Mm-hmm, I mean, he like mm-hmm. he'll go and do residencies, which I think which is very is so cool. nice, dude. Oh mm-hmm. my god, so cool to be able to do that. Just like. <sighs> You need an anyway, audience. But, yeah, you yeah. do need a crowd. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But but what do you what do you yeah. think about that though? Like, is a part of his comedy and a part of like yeah the process of making a one man show? Like when you're talking about these mistakes that you made with your dad and what you got out of like constructing that narrative isn't part of part of it is I'm sure like being accountable to that. But there's also like it's feeding into a desire to like be like, okay, yeah, I make mistakes, but like, I'm going to be the one who names them and they're going to be in my, like, I get to have my grip around like what I say is and isn't my mistake. And, you know, things like that. Like I could see that happening very easily for me if I were doing a one man show, which I never will, but (laughs) I I, I don't know for your sake. I hope you never have to, but, um, Because we have to. That's the we real do. Thing. Yeah, unfortunately. To. Yeah, like it does feel a bit like a compulsion because it's not like objectively. I'm like, good idea, man. Keep doing it. <laughs> Data says, yeah, go ahead. The um, Dave, do you have a take on this? I do. Uh, yeah, and no. it's a hard and question. It's, sorry. And maybe it'll shake something loose for you, yeah. Lucas. But for me, it's less about. It is. It, I, I would. Because I can't speak to the what, where he gets to be right or the way in which he's right, because I think that's something specific to his show. But I can speak to the solidifying of narrative, 
of like the mm. messages. So specifically with my most narrative show, Dave Marcoma show, it's a story of my coma. I, you know, in the, in the process of writing that show and performing it, I decided the meaning it has in my life. And, yeah. and there are parts where you're really saying heavy, poignant things. And I don't feel heavy and poignant every time I deliver those things because it's now mm. a show. Right. And so, and, and, and then, you know, you look back at these experiences that you made art out of and you're like, man, I forgot that this whole other thing happened during that time because I just didn't turn it into a part of the show. And so I think mm -hmm. his, like, he's told, I mean, I would argue that that's also part of the schlub thing is like getting to choose like th that's what under that's the friction of his schlub character is like he has carefully crafted this schlub character but i think with regards to being mm. right too it's like you know part of it is just like there's only so much only so much unvarnished truth you can present to an audience and like right. have them be like you can it's not hard to make people recoil like deeply, you know? So he has to do that to make it like palatable. But, but also I think it's, I, I would be interested to hear if he still thinks of the car experience the way he does. I think I've heard on his podcast, him saying that he's doing the scrambler bit again. And hmm. I would be curious, like, I'm sure it's changed. I'm sure it the right, context right. of it has changed. And so, like, what is the story that the scrambler bit is telling now? Um, and, and so, I find in the process of making it, those things there there is an untruth that happens because a two dimensional truth is just never going to be a complete truth. And that's you do have to shave a little bit of dimension off of the truth to turn it into a show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would also be interested just like I'm reminded Madeline of uh, Zadie Smith referring to like the writing department as like the department of control. She's like, mm -hmm. you could also call, you could also call the English department the department of control. <laughs> and, you know, Burbigs is clearly like a writer and he's written all of this and structured it. Um, I would be interested to to know like the uh the like when he came up with that kind of like thematic opening idea of like I'm right so that he could bookend it like I would really love to know where it came because I I found that like in writing the show you like think you know what it is and you like try to write it and then the show speaks back to you and you go oh I guess this is what it is and so then you just need that kind of like What's the term? Like, I don't know, George Saunders, the short story writer, sort of talks about like the power conveying artifact, which I think is like really obscure. And I think I'm about to name it wrong. But it's like just the <laughs> idea that like, like that idea of like being right kind of like gets everyone into the room mm -hmm. that you want to be in. So you can show them all of the stuff. And then you can walk out and be like, oh, yeah, that was that room. Like, you're just trying to get permission to talk about the ideas. 
and show it in a way that is coherent, that is creatively coherent to everybody um, so that they can feel moved and changed by the work. That's how, I, so like, yeah, that was probably a little all over the place, but I do think it's just like a key to try to unlock the door of the ideas you're exploring. Yeah. And yeah, that is reductive probably, inevitably, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think that is just inherently like kind of artistic distillation. Yeah. I appreciate all the way you're, ways you're thinking about it, like as a container space too, that really hits for me about the quality of his comedy. I guess I'm just thinking about like, okay, when you want to apologize to someone, mm. you know, you need to apologize to someone, right? The problem with most apologies is that it's actually not an apology, right? It's like, it's a narrative that you've crafted mm-hmm. to excuse your behavior totally. and make sense of it. Yeah. And Dave, when I outed just... you for your show that didn't sell well, <laughs> um, that was uh, that was actually your fault. But I'm sorry that you felt that. Yeah, um, I I really appreciate that. I can tell you really mean that. Thanks. <laughs> Do you think better of me now? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's why. I mean, I think about, you know, sorries make me think of like amends and the program and like, and like, you know, the rule with amends is like you make direct amends to people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. And Mm -hmm. very frequently an apology, like basically like a rule, one rule of the program is like, any apologies you're trying to make to ex-girlfriends or, you know, ex-romantic partners, yeah, you probably don't need to make, like, you're probably trying to, like, get okay. in a room mm-hmm. with that ex, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And so, like, a lot of sorries are really not, ne- it's it's almost more important to describe what you did wrong than mm-hmm. it is to say, I'm sorry. Much less say why you did it. Right. Well, to even know why you did it sometimes is tough, you know, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think, do you, are you saying you, do you think, do you, does this relate to like, do you buy his, do you think of the show as an apology? Yeah. That's a genre, you know, or Mm. like, Mm. is it, or do you, and if it is, do you buy the apology? Well, it's just kind of something I always wonder about, like, comedians whose part of their shtick is like self-reflection right yeah like i would absolutely say that this is Marin's problem right so he's like i'm going to tell you like what a filthy bastard i am all these horrible things i did and i'm going to resolve that at least for myself by the time this hour is over mm-hmm, <laughs> right? mm-hmm. see that's and, see that's uh, what i that's a know, guy i, I think, think he's doing that. it could go through the colander <laughs> a little bit more I think some of his stuff could go through the colander and it could come out a little bit yeah. lighter for the audience. Yeah, no, no, totally, totally. <laughs> I love, I love that shit. So that's my problem. I, uh, yeah, I, I could speak for a long time about this matter, but yeah. love, hate, love, hate. But I do think that that's his compulsion. And sometimes I'm like, wow, this is wild how you're just like laying this neurotic shit out <laughs> like this for everyone to see. And, um, and just being so naked about it. I don't think Briglia does that, but I think there's a similar element of control that's going on um, 
with with the narrative he's telling about himself right and i think it gets back to the hero question like i don't think that he thinks he's a hero but he tells us a lot of things that are like pretty fucked up about himself mistakes he makes and things like that and i think there is a safety in the way that yeah he creates that container space because we leave with not a sense that he's a hero or a villain maybe he's more kind of like a relatable anti-hero who like you know makes us think of elements of all of us mm-hmm. or something like that right it's very compassion driven um, i mean i, I would think say there's that control thing totally i think that's the th- this is the the argument there's like this incredible ted talk that billy bragg did Mm-hmm. Um, oh. Are you a Billy Bragg fan, Lucas? Do you know Billy Bragg? I I like feel like I know of a quote from him, but I uh, no, I, I don't think I can say it's so good. I mean, it's hard to think of a more like his his recent like crusades have been just like hammering against transphobes in the hmm. UK because he's a he's a UK yeah. guy, and like it's hard to think of a tr- more truly righteous for a longer period of time musician and artist than Billy Bragg but he the whole talk is about how art does not change the world mm. and he's like and he's like it the world is changed by people who see the art and then make connections with people and organize and form these things and so I think what you're describing Madeline is a little bit like um the limitations of art of of theater they all it can provide us with is self-knowledge which is also in the program like they say like self-knowledge avails us nothing like it doesn't help you get sober if you're just like i'm an alcoholic and then you keep fucking drinking or it doesn't help you like mend your relationship with your family if you like say you're sorry and keep not showing up when you need to show up or whatever it's like yeah the the, and and so much stand-up so much theater is just like let us present the world to you. Let us all know ourselves. Let let you know me mm-hmm. and thus know yourself more. But like there's a huge limitation with with self-knowledge there. There's there's mm-hmm. only so much you can do. Uh Yeah, w- w- with with letting people know themselves. Beyond that, it's just like Sure. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah. There's just it's outside of the purview of of art or theater to to do that. I think. Well, I would say like I don't think that not that he's trying to apologize to anyone with either of these specials yeah. that we watched, but I do think there's an interesting way in which they're unfolding as a kind of like holding oneself accountable, and I like that. I don't know. I think that that's. That's a great methodology, right? Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that maybe we do think it's like kind of a gimmick at this point because he's done it in various ways, in different iterations. But I kind of like that. I think that there's something really powerful, especially thinking about it in the context of of comedy culture in the U.S. It's like, yeah, his his brand did blow up, and I've even heard like speculation. Oh, he should get he should be one of the next hosts of one of these talk shows or something like that. Like, you know, I think he has there's brand issues that we might have with him, and maybe like, but I I think within this like landscape of 
really really like of like fascist comedy on the rise and things like that i i want to be i want to hold out for him i think it's <laughs> it's i think it's good and i want to stand by it comically even if it's kind of repetitive oh, that's have a great I take you, dave yeah no you guys really have <laughs> like this is this is in addition to the survivor episode we did because there's a season of Survivor called Heroes and Villains, Lucas, and we talked about that with Ariel. Do you know Ariel Elias? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So we talked about it, and they both kind of genuinely convinced me that a villain I enjoyed rooting for was like a bad enough guy in real life that I should cool <laughs> off on my and 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 you really or just like reflect on what's going on with you. <laughs> sure. Me, yeah. To him. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not trying to make self reflection part of my shtick. You know oh, what I mean? Right. That's right, not right. my vibe. I see. Uh, but I uh-huh. no, you both really are like <laughs> it's it's interesting because going into this, Madeline, I would have thought you would have like way more like hackles up for Berbiglia and like and the thing you're kind of probably yeah. describing if you binged a bunch of it you know like yeah 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 and 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 be- start rolling my eyes I think right and b- because I do have an eye rolling quality in me but oh you both have like and 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 I think you both know like how like gentle my criticism is of him but sure. that but that even so, like you have increased my appreciation for what even got me to the criticism in the first place you know what i mean and like the thing i keep thinking of is like uh the, i io in chicago mm-hmm. this improv theater mm-hmm. that's just that was just run by the worst woman and and had so much fucked up shit going on with it and and like there was there was a time when they moved their building from uh wrigleyville to this terrible part of town that people stopped across from whole foods yeah Yeah. and and maybe you remember this on it was still on facebook was the big platform hashtag io memories did you ever see those lucas oh no yeah well people were just like posting their io memories and i like you, you know, this is pre-coma, Dave. I'm taking big, angry swings on Facebook. <laughs> and I was just like, okay. you know, I, I said that IO had some of the like, I said, I think I said like true human filth, just like some of the worst people I'd ever oh. met, which is still the case. And honestly, my takes like on a lot of those people have, yeah. aged, right. <laughs> have aged very well, like yeah. truly. Yeah. But, yeah. but the thing that people were saying was like, you know, even some of my close friends were like, we met because of this place, you know? Right. And I'm like, right. and, and I, I have trouble fully appreciating IO for that reason, but I can very much appreciate. And, you know, I similarly do not have nearly as much vitriol for <laughs> any vitriol for Berbiglia. Right. But mm-hmm. I can very much appreciate like the, y- you know, how he, Got even got me to a place of wanting more from stand up, wanting more from myself, which is, I think, what the what this show did did for a lot of comedians. Yeah, and yeah. and what even knowing that yeah. you could do one man shows or go to a fringe festival did for a lot of comedians. Yeah, I mean, yesterday rewatching it. It made me be like, oh, maybe I can go back to my show and like make it better. Like it really, even <laughs> now, 
just was sort of inspiring of like, yeah, okay, I could, there's, I'm getting something from this that if I yeah. could give to someone else would feel good. It would feel like I'm doing something, even if it is only self-knowledge, even if it is not, you know, not action that I'm creating oh, another person. No, and it's, mm-hmm. and if it's giving someone a moment of rest, who, who talked about this? Giving someone a moment of rest so that they are recharged to go out and continue to make to do work that does improve community, make a difference, fight inequality, like stuff like that. Like that is a part of the ecosystem of change that we need. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, we create, I was thinking about, we create work in a world, you know, shaped in a, in a genre shaped by Mike Birbiglia's work. And it's like nice to get to certainly come at it with a lens of criticism in the f- in the best sense where it's like, we are certainly trying to find where there is room for growth while also zooming in and noticing like the incredible craft that goes into it. Um, yeah. I started watching and I was like, I have seen, I, this was must've been my like fourth or fifth time watching it and like seeing it and, and like knowing the jokes so well, it just like, wasn't uh, n- new for me in any way. And I was able to be at more of a remove, but eventually that did slip away and by the end i i knew he was you were angry yeah by the end i was furious i spit (laughs) um he is is i i knew early on that he was talking about the gymnasts to set up the landing of Mm. the very end of the show where he does the gymnast like uh but but it but to do a gymnast bow or 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 whatever you call that like a presentation after they fall in this show about all of his falls where he has spun around the stage multiple times i had to be like it's fucking tight dude yeah it's good like this gymnast the gymnast ending is fucking fucking good dude yeah it's yeah that sense of control 75 minutes wearing that yeah i know all of them are like 75 i'm like dude Yeah. yeah it's a lot He's wearing that shirt and he doesn't have pit stains too. Well, he's got a <laughs> shirt underneath because it. it's so loose. That's that's why. Yeah, I know. Impossible to like, stain a shirt. I can't that wear loose. shirts like that because I get pit stains. It's embarrassing in front of my Gen Z students to have my pit stains. So I don't know. I, I feel like we're at a genre head. reveal point. Is that I think now that we've gotten to pit stains, we might be or or is there anything? I'm always like bringing us to the bottom of the barrel and then. <laughs> Dave's like, all right, yeah, uh, time's up. Madeline, we are. Madeline is the scholar, but I'm the high culture uh, of the show. I did. I look. We can cut this, but I I did think that to the point of like I know, like how Bigly is like I know. That's actually like mm-hmm. something I learned from a clown, like Avner the eccentric, a clown that I oh. knew. Uh, I've lived a cool life where I know clowns. <laughs> that's awesome. No, but say, was, say more. He was like the, the the he was like whenever something goes wrong on stage or whatever the best thing you can do is be like I know, mm-hmm. not necessarily like saying it but just sort of acknowledging it mm-hmm. because it is, it is like, he was always trying to get you on rapport with the audience mm-hmm. which is like write French for like to be in breath with like mm-hmm. the audience. And there is something of like, hey, I'm present with you. As much as we're trying to acknowledge like what does he, as a type, 
what does he get away with? It's like, yeah, but Birbiglia is also doing this thing, which is essential as a performer, which is to be in the moment with the audience. And so there is like a a historic uh, tool I think he's actually using there as well. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I like, I like how many like spatial metaphors you're using and thinking about his comedy. Cause it does feel like you're just like, he's holding space with you. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think I was, when I was watching it yesterday, I had like a bad night. I was feeling actually really bad about myself, <laughs> like down on myself. And, um, and it was, it was kind of incredible how, healing it it felt Mm. to watch just somebody else being like yeah i'm like fucked up and flawed too yeah (laughs) just like let's sit here in those feelings and like however um you know craftfully you know and um artificially like induced the sense of progress you have through experiencing a story and its arc and getting to that resolution point, which he's, he's very good at endings. I don't think that there's, which is so fucking hard. So good at endings, right? Yeah. Um, it really like, I don't know. I was after, after watching it, I, I actually did feel a lot better. Like in the way that like, you know, I would go on a walk in the forest or do something else like that for myself. And, um, there is a kind of like medicinal quality to, <laughs> to yeah. his work that I I love. I, I think it's great. That's also why getting to thinking about like, you know, the pharmacon is like my thinking about comedy is like if we are to say it's the best medicine, like it can always become a poison. So I do mm. think mm. maybe that is part of why I'm like, I want to be measured with yeah. him. Like I'll have a little sure. bit here and there, but like I could see if I went in. Yeah, it would just lose its effect, yeah. right? Yeah, and, and maybe backfire in some way because I think there is some kind of. It could go too far into like whatever navel gazing territory or something like that, yeah. right? But yeah, I don't know. Let's do a genre review. Let's do it. Do you have a a genre picked out, Madeline? Me? Yeah. I had a hard time with this one. I wanted to talk to you guys about, and I feel like I really, I really appreciated the comments both of you made about like, what is the difference between if there is, it's not just purely cultural, like between a one man show and a a stand up special. Um, And I still feel like that's a really arbitrary uh, distinction that's like often made um, in derogatory ways. Um, so Depending on who I'm you're talking kind of, to, by stand-ups, yes. Also, the word storytelling, right? right? Which I don't know. I, I'm kind of fine with storytelling being shit on. I think because it tries so hard to be better than. I don't know. Do, do you? Mm-hmm. How do you feel? No. You think so? Yeah, I mean, it's like they didn't. I remember, like, my PR person for Fringe was like, "Don't say storytelling. Don't say <laughs> just like y- comedy, you could say, say you could say that the guy playing Creep by Radiohead at the party on his guitar is sincere, but it's trying way too hard to be <laughs> sincere. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm fine with shitting on that guy. Mm. You know what I mean? That's what I feel like storytelling is. Yeah, it's kind of weird how storytelling 
has become synonymous with sincerity or like my favorite put down earnest. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. I don't, I just don't think I don't buy it. And I'm not like, I'm not a comedian and it's never been, I'm a writer. So of course I tell stories that I don't, I don't feel interpolated. So I'm like, I think, I think it's fine to be a storyteller. Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. But as a, (laughs) as a one person, I understand all the weird cultural pressure around it. And so I just wanted to name that along with the genre of the one man show. But um, anyways, this is like a really roundabout way of me saying my genre is wrinkly shirt theater. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Great, great, great. Because I felt like maybe theater is the way to resolve this um, arbitrary distinction. Right. It is theater. It's theatrical. Totally. There you go. That's mine. Lucas, do you want to go next? I I have mine. Okay, you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, My genre reveal is... Every man plus. Because I feel like what we've talked about today, it's like he took the kind of every man invitation, I guess, to like tell his story. But there's an elevated craft and insight and art to it. Um, And so it is both relatable, but needs to be acknowledged that it is doing it at a really high level. Mm hmm. I think we're all kind of like, I think all of our genres are going to end up being synonyms. We've also had sort of like jokey sponsorships uh, throughout the season. But I I do want to say, because we almost got to the end of the show without it, but there is uh, a new streaming service just for straight white guys called Everyman Plus. And we are sponsored by Everyman Plus uh, uh, this this week. So no free trial. All free trial. <laughs> All free. Well, for some. Yeah, for some. Um, I call it schlub gymnastics. That's my. Nice. Oh, okay. That's my, uh, which is, you know, Everyman Plus, Wrinkly Shirt Theater. Uh, I, I I had to say schlub for the millionth time yeah. in this episode. But I, but I really was proud of, of like the, you know, pointing to the presentation of messiness that mm-hmm. that he's mm-hmm. doing uh here it it, it feels a- and then now that that's been pointed out you can re-enter it and just experience it as messiness you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's lovely i do want to say lucas i love you man you're oh, for for anyone you, listening man. lucas is genuinely an incredible comedian. I wish you had an album or something. What? What? Like? What can I? Plan? <laughs> don't I, yeah, point don't we all, to? man? Yeah. Uh, no, like, why don't you just? Why don't you just get a spec? Why don't you just? You, you ever do one hey, of those Netflix? Specials? Have you thought about being on Netflix? <laughs> you know, it's so funny. My aunt said this. It was such a good idea. She was like, "You should be on Saturday Night Live." Yeah. And uh, I hadn't thought about it. Oh. But, Are you working uh, on it? Yeah, I'm working on it, man. Okay. Yeah, I'm working on it. Yeah, yeah go yeah. to my website. I got tour dates coming up. I am trying to, uh, you know, I got a bunch of like little clips. They're really cutting me up into small little clips. Mm-hmm. I just filmed another thing, another like 12 minute set that's going to come out in the spring. You have a Comedy so Central thing, right? Nice. Yeah, a couple of Comedy Central things. Yeah. Okay. So is that in aggregate, it's going to be about like, 35 minutes, I think, of content. But that's tight. Is it just over like a million years? Oh, right, right. Is it, 
is that stuff, are those videos on your website or is there like a YouTube that people? Can yeah, you can find them on YouTube, but I have like my latest ones on the website and I'll, okay. I'll promote the next one. But yeah, what about, I'm the, what about the not latest ones that uh, you're more embarrassed by? Where can we find those? You can just Google. <laughs> Daily motion. Just Google me. Um, E-bombs world, actually. Okay. Oh, nice. Yeah. Thank you. I'm an aging millennial. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, my website, my website has like my tour dates and a mailing list because uh, try and just get me out of the, get me out of uh, social media as much as I can. Are you sending um, a legit newsletter or are you just kind of doing like I update on... people. I am. Yeah. I update people and I sort of make it fun yeah. when I update. Yeah. Kooky, oh, kooky little updates. Yeah. Look, I write good emails. <laughs> good emails. Well, he gives good emails. Yeah, check check Lucas's uh, links in the show notes. We'll put your your website and everything. Uh, see him live. Very just like, just fucking solid, man. Just a good, <laughs> a good comedian. When they're do, when they're oh, calling, when they're calling straight white guys. Yeah, you yeah, gotta yeah. make the Lucas's Lucas makes the cut, man. That's very kind. That's very nice. It was so fun to be here and talking with you guys. As this always, great. Dave, it's so Thank great to talk to you, Madeline. So great to meet you. Yeah, and nice to, to do meet this. You. This yeah. was thanks for joining. And listen to my other podcast, not my main podcast, my other po- or what did I say? Accidentally, my real podcast. My real. Yeah, podcast. listen to my <laughs> my other podcast. This is your afterlife. This one's not. Dave, this thanks is... for having me on your real podcast first. Yeah, this because this one was cool too. But I mean, it's kind of cooler to be listening to the imaginary podcast in some ways. But definitely, uh, if you do listen on Apple, write a review. We like seeing those. Drop drop more stars on there. Give us five. Give us five stars. Give us five. Um. And I was wrong about the number of stars last time. It, what did so, what did you say what? last time? What did you I say? said four, and then you scolded me. Oh well, yeah. I mean, they can give four too. It's it's not horrible, no, but they can't. That it does fuck the average up or too early yeah. on in the star um, I know. rating. But uh, and then this is this is our last our last episode of the season. So we will be announcing soon the theme of our season three and there will be a bonus episode yes look Look, very i would say 85 percent certain we'll have a bonus episode for this season (laughs) and that because we're still scheduling but then i think there will be a much quicker turnaround and it won't be a full three months or five months or whatever between seasons so uh yeah you're gonna help me with research for my book yeah yeah i am and the listeners as well it's community It's community based. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you all for listening. We will talk to you soon.